Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints, episode number two. My name is Shannon. I'm super happy to have you here for the second episode. I am intentionally putting a few of these key concepts in the first few podcasts that I'm releasing because I think that they will truly set the foundation for other kind of more nitty gritty, more technical stuff that we'll talk about down the road in future episodes. So today I want to talk about how to create workouts that will improve your metabolism without harming your joints. Weight loss is a huge industry, and many people think that exercise is a major part of the equation for weight loss. You know, you hear eat less, work out more, and that's a pretty well-accepted phrase at this point. And although regular exercise should be a part of developing a healthy lifestyle, I think the how is very important. In this episode, I want to talk about how exercise can contribute to either increasing or decreasing your metabolism. And yes, it can decrease your metabolism if you make this very common mistake, I will explain. There are lots of misconceptions about exercise and weight loss that can actually lead to undesirable results. And I think that many people want to work out as hard as they can or pick up a running habit. And often these will result in more joint pain and inflammation and might not always result in the weight loss that you'd expect. Today, I'll explain why that happens and that there's a healthier way to approach exercise that will give you long lasting results without wearing down your joints in the process. Let me start by saying that I do not focus on weight loss with my clients. Study after study have shown that trying to lose weight by dieting doesn't work long term. So, so many people that tried a new workout program or a new weight loss program or a new diet often end up losing weight and then gaining it back. So I'm going to get into exercise in a minute, but first I want to talk about more of a softer side of this topic that's not necessarily my area of expertise, but if this piece is missing, to me, nothing else matters. I truly think the way to lose weight and keep it off isn't by punishing yourself at the gym and in the kitchen. I honestly think it's by re-examining how and why you're eating or overeating. Many of us use food as a way to buffer uncomfortable emotion. I think that's probably the primary reason why people overeat. We use it as an input to drown out feelings of anxiety, fear, shame, boredom, embarrassment, whatever. And I think that until we are willing to experience the fear and the doubt and the uncomfortable feelings, we'll just be living in restriction and trying to lose weight by willpower, which is almost always short term. And I think that's one of the reasons why people will end up gaining weight in the long term. It's just because restriction is not sustainable. So here's the downward spiral. You unconsciously eat or overeat or overdrink or whatever to try to drown out uncomfortable feelings that you're not willing to experience. You feel yourself gain weight. You punish yourself in your workouts. Your body eventually burns out and you get joint inflammation, pain, hormonal imbalance. Maybe you have to stop working out and then you gain more weight. And I don't want to go off on this too much because I do want to get to the physiological mechanisms behind exercise and metabolism, but I do think it was just important to quickly address. And it's funny because by starting a business over this last year, I've had to be willing to experience fear and doubt on a regular basis. And I'm talking like every single day. And I talk about things that are not widely accepted and sometimes not popular. And because I'm challenging some norms, I definitely get pushback. And practicing standing my ground through fear of being scrutinized has been a huge challenge for me. It is not comfortable. It's not easy. It's definitely pushed me. But I know that this information that I talk about can help so many people, even though it might not be popular and even though I might get scrutinized. So I know it's worth it. So I make myself speak what I think is true in the pursuit of ultimately helping as many people as possible. 
because this takes daily practice and repetition, I've gotten so much better at tolerating negative emotion, like fear and shame and embarrassment and doubt. And you're probably like, okay, how does this apply to weight loss? I'll get to it, trust me. But my point is that through practicing my ability to tolerate negative emotions, it's translated into how I control myself around food. Super interesting. It's definitely a work in progress, but my practiced ability to experience negative emotions in my business has unintentionally translated into my ability to experience negative emotions instead of eating the ice cream to find comfort and then trying to punish myself in my workouts the next day, which leads to that downward spiral that I was talking about, right? I often get asked if I eat intuitively and I would say yes, but I do think that it's because I am more willing to feel my negative emotions and I can more easily identify why I'm reaching for the food as comfort. And instead, I'm working on being able and willing to process my fear or my doubt or my shame or my embarrassment instead of trying to just cover it up with the comfort of food and ice cream and candy and wine. (laughs) And again, this is not my area of expertise, but I just thought it might be kind of interesting to touch on briefly because I know that this, without this piece, like nothing else matters. So if you want to learn more about this, check out Brooke Castillo's podcast called the Life Coach School Podcast. Um, I've been listening to her podcast for like a year and a half and I actually joined her coaching membership, her monthly coaching membership. It's like $300 and I'm telling you, it's the best $300 I have ever spent. This is not an ad, by the way. Nobody pays me. (laughs) But I'm just saying that this is what she teaches and this is where I learned this and it's totally changed my life. So check check out her podcast after you listen to this one. All right, (laughs) that aside, let's get into more of the physiology and exercise and how to use exercise to complement your nutrition in a way that will actually improve your metabolism and how you can use exercise in a way that will decrease your metabolism. So when it comes to exercise, to stay lean and healthy, there are two important concepts to understand. We're getting into the nitty gritty now. We're past the soft stuff. (laughs) The first is metabolism. Your metabolism will influence how easily you can lose weight. This is because your basal metabolic rate or your metabolism is how many calories your body burns just to keep you alive. And this can vary person to person and tends to go down as you age. And I'll talk about that here in a moment. You can use exercise to boost your metabolism at any age, and some forms of exercise can actually contribute to decreasing your metabolism. The key to increasing your metabolism is by gaining muscle. Again, I will speak in more detail about this later in this episode, but for now, all you need to know is that muscle burns more calories than any tissue in your body. It's very high maintenance. So by building more muscle, your body becomes a calorie burning machine and you burn more calories in your sleep. This means that you have to rely less on wearing down your body in your workouts in order to stay lean. The second concept in understanding how exercise can either increase or decrease your metabolism is understanding the role of glycogen. I'll break it down as simply as possible. So when we eat, the carbs in our food are converted to glucose. This glucose is what your body uses as fuel to operate different processes in your body and keep you alive. When your cells have enough fuel from the glucose, the extra glucose is converted into glycogen and stored in the liver and in the muscle cells. This glycogen is used by the liver to power processes like digestion and your heartbeat. The glycogen stored in the muscles is used exclusively to produce strong muscular contractions. When there is too much glycogen in your liver and muscle cells, the leftover glycogen is stored as fat. So this is where exercise comes in. Utilizing intense muscular contractions 
we empty the glycogen in the muscles, emptying its stores, and allow for more glycogen to flow in the next time we eat. If we repeat this process regularly, emptying the stores of glycogen in the muscles with strength training, our body utilizes the food we are eating as fuel rather than converting it to fat. Okay, so again, we eat, our body utilizes the food as energy, whatever is left over is converted to glycogen in our muscle cells and in our liver. When those glycogen stores in your muscles fill up, they overflow and that overflowing glycogen is stored as fat. However, if you are utilizing your muscles and emptying those stores of glycogen, because your muscles will utilize glycogen as energy when they produce strong muscular contractions, you're really emptying that fuel tank, allowing it to be refilled, and then you're not overflowing that glycogen and you're not converting that extra glycogen into fat. So this begs the question, what type of exercise are actually emptying these glycogen stores and which are not? Let's start with which primary type of exercise is not emptying these glycogen stores, and it's steady state cardio. Steady state cardio is not efficient for weight loss. Why? Let's get into it. So when people want to start losing weight, one of the first instincts is to pick up running or go to the gym and hit the elliptical for an hour. And although this seems productive and might kind of burn some calories and allow you to lose some fat in the short term, it actually can set you up for more weight gain and a slower metabolism in the long term. Steady state activity. So what is that? It's a cardiovascular exercise that can be sustained for an extended period of time, like 45 minutes to an hour, like jogging, walking, the elliptical, etc. This does not place a high intensity demand on the muscles, which is why it can be carried out for so long. In other words, you're using a small percentage of your slow twitch fibers over and over. You're just recycling your slow twitch fibers, which don't utilize that glycogen store at all. So again, since you're never using your muscles at a high enough demand, you are never tapping into those glycogen stores in your muscles and the glycogen stores tend to overflow and are converted to fat. Additionally, there's another issue with only performing steady state cardio, and that is that you're not regularly strength training, and you will lose muscle and decrease your metabolism. Your body tends to be a use it or lose it system. So if it senses there is extra muscle tissue that your body isn't utilizing or needing, that tissue will begin to atrophy and go away because muscle is a high maintenance tissue, remember? And it takes a lot of energy for your body to maintain, and your body doesn't want to expend extra energy that it doesn't need. So if you are exclusively doing steady state cardio and not using that muscle tissue with strength training, you will lose muscle mass, which will decrease your basal metabolic rate even more. Interestingly, as you participate in more steady state cardio, your body gets more efficient at it and you burn fewer calories than you did initially. This is why a runner's endurance doesn't necessarily transition to endurance on a bike. Their body simply got more efficient at the motor patterns required for running. So the longer you perform like years and years, the more efficient you get at it, actually the less calories you burn while you're actually doing it. So if steady state cardio can actually decrease our metabolism, what can increase it? And you might have guessed it, it's gaining muscle, right? Gaining muscle as we age is key to maintaining a healthy body. With aging, we tend to lose muscle, which is a phenomenon called sarcopenia. This will cause your basal, basal metabolic rate to decline, which again is how many calories your body burns to keep you alive. This is why you can eat the same amount that you ate in your 20s, in your 30s, and you slowly start to put on weight, right? It's because you tend to lose muscle mass with this phenomenon called sarcopenia. Again, muscle burns more calories than any tissue in your body. It requires a lot of energy to keep you alive, around 50 to 100 calories per pound of muscle per day. 
So if you gain five pounds of muscle, you could be burning an additional 500 calories per day, even if you don't work out in your sleep, driving in your car, sitting on your couch, right? This is why the key is to improve your basal metabolic rate by gaining more muscle. As you increase your muscle mass, you will have the ability to participate in more vigorous activities without compromising your joints, and you will continually improve your basal basal metabolic rate. I call this the upward spiral, right? This upward spiral will allow you more freedom with food because your body will burn more calories at rest, and you can say goodbye to counting calories forever and living in a restriction. An additional mistake that I want to speak about is... When you cut calories, but you aren't strength training, your body will not only decrease fat, but it will decrease muscle, bone, and connective tissue in that calorie deficit. Again, your body is a use it or lose it system. So this will lower your basal metabolic rate because you've lost muscle tissue and you will have to continue to cut calories to maintain a certain weight. So this can contribute to the downward spiral of exercise. So essentially, again, what happens is you cut calories and you aren't strength training. You're just doing steady state cardio. Your body burns fat, but it also burns muscle because it's sensing you're not using the muscle. The muscle is using extra energy. And so your body uses both fat and muscle and connective tissue to energize you. Your metabolism decreases even more and you have to eat even less to maintain a lean body. Again, so this is that downward spiral. However, when you are strength training, you are placing a high demand on your system, emptying your glycogen stores, laying down more muscle, bone, connective tissue, and neural tissue, so the body's weight loss will come exclusively from fat. Your body senses, oh, they're lifting heavy things. We need this muscle tissue. We can't break that muscle tissue down and use it as energy. Let's use this unused tissue, which is fat, and we burn the fat instead. So if you control your nutrition by eating unprocessed food and control insulin levels, I'm planning to have a a nutrition expert on the podcast soon, so stay tuned, you can approach a healthy body fat with lots of protective muscle. Big disclaimer, not every strength training routine is created equal. The last thing you want to do is gain muscle and get all this progress going and then get injured and have to stop because your training routine is causing too much stress through your joints. So how do we gain muscle without getting hurt? The idea is to introduce training that places high demand on your muscles. Remember, emptying those glycogen stores, but is short enough so that you don't overdo it. This introduces enough stress for the body to simulate your growth, but not so much that your system is overwhelmed because it becomes inflamed and sets you back. Again, if you're injured, you won't be able to participate in exercise and you can lose ground. So the best resistance training program is one of high intensity, but low force. In other words, you want to choose exercises that will efficiently develop muscle and are low risk of injuring joint structures. So essentially, we want to challenge our muscles to fatigue and kind of flirt with that little threshold, like what I talked about in the first episode, all while minimizing stress through joint structures like cartilage, ligaments, um, smaller muscles that can easily get strained, etc. Okay, four principles that we want to think about when we're thinking about strength training that doesn't compromise your joints. Number one train your muscles. I know this sounds obvious, but I think that we often get caught up in what the movement looks like and less about what muscles we're targeting and what joints could be unintentionally affected. So we want to focus on the muscle groups you are training and stabilize the rest of your body for the safest and best results. This will allow your body to focus on producing the strongest possible output while minimizing stress through adjacent joints. Okay, let's go through a potent example of a heavy squat versus a body weight step up. 
So you can work your legs and your glutes in great ways without compressing the spine. And squats can absolutely have their place. I'm not implying that you should be afraid of them, but they can also place unnecessary force and compression through your spine, especially if you're holding a heavy barbell or heavy weights. You can choose an exercise that is much lower risk to the spine and is still great for developing your glutes, like in a step up. So if I calculate the force through the glutes in a step up using body weight versus the force of the glutes in a squat using 200 pounds, listen to this. The force through the glutes in a body weight step up is still more. What? And I'm not going to go through the calculation on here because honestly, it's probably better to see in a visual. You can check out my stick figure highlight on Instagram if you're interested in learning more about this. So what happens is there's an extra in the squat, there's an extra 200 pounds of weight compressing your spine but you're still getting less benefit to the glutes than if you were just to do a step up with your body weight. And again, this is physics, this is moment arms, things like that. So if you're interested in learning a bit more about that, you can go to my Instagram and check that out. I'll link my Instagram in the show notes. I know this is going to upset people who think that squats are king, but if you think about it, why risk your back if you can get better results and better muscular results and have healthier joints just by choosing another exercise? So applying these physics principles will result in stronger muscles and healthier joints. When you have stronger muscles and healthier joints, you are able to participate in functional movements throughout your day so much easier. If you're all broken down and your back hurts, it's a lot harder to bend over and pick that thing up, right? In my membership, we apply this philosophy to every single muscle. We stabilize joints we don't want to stress while specifically targeting muscles we do want to stress and work. This will result in less inflammation and joint damage and more muscular results. Boom. So the first principle in training is train your muscles, not movements. The second principle is to go slow. So doing speed-based exercises isn't bad. And in fact, they can be helpful, helpful to thread into your routine here and there. But they do come with a cost in that increasing acceleration will increase the amount of force through your joints and also apply momentum to the movements. That goes back to physics, right? Force equals mass times acceleration. So if we're going faster, we're maybe unintentionally putting extra force through your joints. This combination means that your joints might be taking most of the stress and maybe not necessarily your muscles. So you can ramp up intensity without adding speed or acceleration. Try this. Take five to 10 seconds for each rep. If you are lifting heavy enough and with enough weight and choosing your exercises wisely, you will be dripping in sweat and it will feel very intense. But again, you have less negative stress through your joints with more muscular benefit. Again, emptying those glycogen stores, challenging the muscles is really where we want to be. Number three. Never work the same muscle on two consecutive days. And I've talked about this in my first episode. I'll probably continue to talk about it um, through the length of this podcast. But when you exercise a muscle to fatigue, it takes anywhere from two to 10 days for that tissue to recover. So if you're exercising the same muscles to fatigue more than two times a week, you could be overstressing your system, leading to overuse injuries. This can cause symptoms like fatigue, joint dysfunction, instability, and even weight gain. Okay, number four, don't be afraid to keep the workout short. 
These workouts don't need to be long in order to be effective. I think that's a big misconception is that you need to spend 60 minutes in the gym. Otherwise, it's not worth it. People are hesitant to do short workouts because they think of exercise as something that burns a lot of calories. But the long-term calorie burn is not coming from the amount of time you're exercising, but the tissue you're building during that workout. Again, if we can create a body that is a calorie-burning machine, we will be so much better off. We won't have to lean on our workouts to burn our calories and put the additional stress through our joints. People who exercise intensely for long periods and or too many days per week while cutting calories introduce too many stressors on their system. This spikes cortisol levels, which creates an environment where the body will be hesitant to let go of fat. Again, I'm going to bring on hormone experts in the future to talk um, more in detail about this, so stay tuned. When your body perceives a threat, like stressing out your system by exercising too intensely for too long, too many days a week, and cutting calories, your body thinks that's a threat, and the result is a slowered metabolism, preservation of body fat, and of course, injuries. In addition, intense exercise carried out for too long can actually waste muscle because your body utilizes proteins from the muscle to keep your energy sustained. This is the opposite of what we want if we're looking to improve our metabolism, right, and have a healthy body for the long term. Because if we have less muscle, we have that slower metabolism. Okay, so just to summarize kind of those four qualities that you want to keep in your training routine. Number one is train muscles, not movements. Number two is to go slow as often as possible. Number three is to make sure you have adequate rest. Again, training muscles, maybe one or two non-consecutive days per week. And then number four, don't be afraid to keep the workout short. More than anything, I think that the fitness industry is shifting away from the no pain, no gain, destructive fitness, and more towards respect for our bodies. And I truly think that leading with respect for our bodies and understanding these physiological mechanisms is what will ultimately improve our health and lead to more of an optimal, healthy, fit, amazing feeling body. If you are ready to apply this philosophy into your workouts and you want to start to develop lean muscle tissue without wearing down your joints, you've got to come check out my membership. It's called Evlo Fitness, E-V-L-O-Fitness.com. There's a seven-day free trial, so you can get in there, try a couple workouts, see if it's a good fit. Okay. That's it. I hope you really enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week. Bye.